Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us again as we work through our small groups material from First John. Joining me in the podcast studio today is our very own Mar- <laughs> Mart Barfield. <laughs> yeah, Mart Barfield. Mart Barfield, welcome. Hey. Matt Barfield. Mart Winkdale, that's me, Matt Barfield. There we go, as well as an empty chair. Oh, uh, Pastor Brandon. Pastor Brandon is currently building a maze. Alas, poor Brandon. We knew, and we knew him well. Um, that's pretty much an all-week thing when we do our Escape from Alcatraz event for the teens. So if you're a teen and you're listening to this, you should definitely thank Pastor Brandon and pray for his knees. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but we are going to be continuing without him. We will look forward to having him back again, hopefully next week. So Matt and I are going to be covering this today, and Matt has a hoarse voice. So. Yes, I was at a soccer game last night and cheered my heart out and my voice out. And so a soccer game. It's like half of me now. So it's like Pastor Ben and then half of Matt Barfield. Hey, who won the soccer? We game? won. Matt uh, Matt Barfield's team won. Mark Barfield. The <laughs> wow. Christian School Cougars beat Cross Point two to nothing in the senior high game. So that was very exciting. Ooh, that is good. Yep, we scored. All we, right, we did. <laughs> um, so we're uh, going through lesson six here. The fact that we should love one another, and um, it's really hard to overstate the importance of love for John. We're going to be coming back to love uh, several times. In fact, I just finished the next lesson uh, for this and the lesson after that. So. Uh, that's not this upcoming Sunday, but the Sunday after, is also going to be predominantly about Christians loving one another because that's just John talks about that so much, and he has so much to say about that. Um, but one question I wanted to start off with, I think it's kind of an interesting question. Uh, should Christians love unbelievers? Yes, obviously. Okay, so let's follow that up. If so... <laughs> I think that was a quote from one of the tables this week. <laughs> yeah, probably all the tables. Imagining a teacher, should Christians uh, love unbelievers? Yes. So the question then becomes, why does John make such a big emphasis on loving one another? And when he says one another, again, he's talking about the community. Uh, he's talking about Christians, loving other Christians, loving the brothers. Uh, really, the book of 1 John doesn't deal with our general love for everyone. Now, Scripture does, uh, but for 1 John, he he's zeroing in on loving one another. So... I don't know who wants to get us started. <laughs> um, Here I am. But uh, I don't know, Matt, any thoughts about that? Why is it that John specifies that we should love one another instead of simply saying that we should you know, love everyone? Well, it, you know, it's the body needs to build itself up and the body needs to encourage itself. And the body needs to be, to recognize that this is the body. When the body's not working right, you know, you got an antibody that's kind of going crazy and fighting your immune system or something like this. Um, you know, that's an autoimmune disease. We don't want that. So I think there's a recognition of that we're all together, that we're underneath the head, Jesus Christ, and that we're part of his body. And so um, it, it ought to work well together. There ought to be that, that interstitial tissue of love that keeps us all functioning properly. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think that there's people who might struggle with this, you know, uh, that there should be some kind of preference given to Christians uh, and I don't even know if preference is the right word, but just that there's this understanding that the the closeness and the bond that I have with other Christians is something that ought to take priority. And I think part of it too might even be because in some ways it's harder. Uh, it's, you know, uh, we were talking about this with uh, when I, I went over it with the teachers and someone made the, the point, you know, sometimes it's hardest to love those who are closest to you because you're with them all the time and you know, it, it's like you think of the person who they're always really, you know, kind and polite and respectful in public, and then, you know, they're getting into fights at home. Why? Well, because when you're at home, 
there's just a different dynamic and you see them all the time and maybe you have higher expectations of them, right? You expect more out of them because, you know, they're your spouse or your sibling or your child or your parents. So you have higher expectations of them than you would of a stranger. And as we think about Christians as kind of a household of faith, uh, I probably have higher expectations of Christians. I see Christians more and there's just kind of a letting of the guard down and it can be easier to have kind of sometimes paradoxically, it can be easier to have strife with people that we're closer to than it can be uh, with people that we, we barely know. Well, the love of Christ constrains us. It, it changes us. And so um, it needs to reset our buttons and how we think. I think that was happening in the first century. I think in, in, this, in this early part of the church, uh, the Jews love the Jews. We even see that in Acts chapter six, when the when the Grecian mm. widows are having problems yeah. and it's not getting met. So they're they're used to their their group. They're used to their their clan, their tribe, their their nation. And so what's happening with with the introduction of the gospel is those things we're used to are getting reset. And where does the love go? Where is it supposed to be directed? How's it supposed to work? It's in this new identity. You're in Christ, and we're all in Christ, and that ought to be knitting itself together in love. Very good. So as we uh, work through this uh, lesson, we start off with this statement, uh, love is the distinguishing mark of the believer. So what sets believers apart ought to be uh, their love. And John's uh, pretty blunt as he starts this off, and uh, he basically says, look, you know, the message that we've heard from the beginning is that we should love one another, not like Cain who slew his brother, Um don't be surprised if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life. We know that we have passed from death unto life. This is, I think, is important. Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, if you don't love your brother, you haven't passed from death unto life. Um, you know, there's, I just now, it does not occur to me that in this world, we, there are things that we tend towards uh, in our sinful flesh. Right? There are things that we have a desire for, a lust for, or an interest in, um, maybe a distraction in or whatever. And, and we get so accustomed to just you know, live your passion, you know, go what you're interested in. And there's only one thing on this earth that right now is from heaven besides the word of God, and that's believers. So when, when we love the brethren, it's a resonance with Jesus' heart for things that are above. Right? I love you because you're a Christian. I love you because you love the Lord and we're both citizens of heaven, right? So there's a, a recognition of the, of the, the supremacy of that idea that, that, that has overtaken my other interests, my other loves. And, and I see in you something I see in other believers. When I go to church, I'm looking at people that, that are from heaven, that are, that are mm. citizens of heaven. And, and there ought to be a recognition of that and a, and a great affinity for that. That's it's really well put. I think that's helpful too as we think about the culture where we're at in America right now. There's a lot of division within the church. There's a lot of secondary and tertiary things that are quaternary. Quaternary. Wow, I didn't know you could even go that far. Yeah, I don't know the next one, but I do. Quintenary. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Not important things become important. Right. And flip the order. Yeah. And w when you look at that, and, you know, sometimes I have to, I have to, check myself. I, I was telling a friend of mine, um, you know, sometimes I wish I probably would be good if I wasn't as much on Twitter because, you know, you see it, there, you, you see people who are brothers in Christ who are saying things that you look at and you're like, man, I disagree with that. Well, and one thing that, I don't know, this is kind of a tangent here, but one thing that hit me was like, you, you have, 
there's all kinds of fights on Twitter. I tell people Twitter's where you go if you want to argue about sports, politics, or religion. That's basically what Twitter sure, is good for. Sure. Um, I almost never tweet because I don't really want to get on social media and argue. So I just sit there and kind of like watch the fire burning all around me. But y- you see people make statements very strongly and go back and forth. And it hit me one day like, okay, either one of them's right and the other's wrong, or they're probably to some degree, both are wrong in some ways and, and right in some ways, but probably someone's more wrong. I thought, and you know, God loves them and, and they're redeemed, but how sad would that be to stand before God and to, to have tweeted out lots of things that God disagrees with um, and have, have, have led people and gotten, you know, favorites and retweets and, uh, instead, you know, when when there's so much that you that you could be that you could be advancing that that doesn't have to do with that, and so I don't know. We, we just we get it. We get caught into these like I think these that's flipping side the side battles. Yeah, it's flipping the order of things. And that we talked about this a little bit. I think I mentioned it last time about the order of things that you love. Jesus Christ must be the one that's my first love, the one that I keep closest all the time. And and one of the biggest problems is we flip the order around and we make other things more significant. And boy, that's, that's a temptation for every believer is to mess that order up. And if we, if we love the brethren and that distinguishes us, the world's going to see that, mm-hmm. right? The, the, I love God. I love his people, right? And that's, that, is, that ought to characterize everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would it look like to, you know, we have an opportunity in the world right now to show what that looks like, to say, here are believers who disagree about things, whether it be COVID or whether it be, you know, some of these race issues. And we have Christians that don't see eye to eye, but we love each other. And the fact that we are in Christ and that we are citizens of heaven means more than all these other things. And I can disagree with a brother over here and I can still love them. It's hard for us to square issues like that. I mean, it goes all the way back to Paul and Barnabas. Mm-hmm. Right, who obviously love the Lord and yeah. obviously love each other enough to go around the world preaching the gospel together, and yet they look at the same issue of John Mark and go, "No, opposite." Yeah, and there wasn't even Twitter. They didn't even. <laughs> there wasn't even a Twitter battle over that, you yeah. know. But but it but it came out that way, and uh, it's hard for us to look at that. I, I've studied that passage a little bit, and I thought, you know, you're supposed to look at it and look at this side of the argument and that side of the argument and go, yeah, at different times in different ways, God's going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so Barnabas wasn't completely wrong. John Mark becomes useful. Paul wasn't completely wrong. John Mark wasn't useful at that moment. Right, so it's like, okay, we need to not have a dissension. Mm-hmm. I need to go work on this thing, and you need to go work on that thing, yeah. and, and God will bring it all back together. Um, and, and have that confidence that it's going to come back together. God's going to do this somehow. We're all going to be to heaven in heaven together. We're all going to somehow. That's <laughs> getting this. really excited here. Yeah, I'm shaking, shaking the, the table. table. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I think this isn't. This is important though, and I didn't even necessarily plan on going in this direction because it raises the question. So, what do we do when there are disagreements? And, and more than that, what do we do when we are, you know, tempted to not like a brother? Because uh, we, I think we all face that, right? I, I mean, let's let's be honest. And you, you know this if you've read the rest of the New Testament. Yeah. Because Paul's writing, and you know. Poor Iodis and Syntyche, you know, they're they're infamous throughout the history of the church as the two women in Philippi that couldn't get along. Yeah, uh, and Paul doesn't come to them and say, "You guys aren't really saved. Yeah, you're not really part of this church because you can't get along. So therefore, you don't love the brothers. So therefore, you're out." And I don't think John would say that either. But it does raise this question of, okay, if love is supposed to be the distinguishing mark, uh, what do we do when Christians don't love? What do we do in our own lives when we're when we struggle with loving someone? You else? know, sometimes it's not even it, we don't feel like it gets to the love level. We don't realize that this little fox of a criticism is eating away at the vine of love, right? We don't, we don't realize that there's a small thing 
that is, I made this little comment. I made this little funny remark about something somebody did. And all of a sudden, I'm, I've derailed love. Like, we don't think of it like that. One day I was driving into school, and something had happened the day before, and I hear my kids in the back talking about it. Oh, did you know this, this student did this or that? Da, 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 da. And I said, uh, so I interrupted them. I said, hey, kids, uh, have you ever done anything that you shouldn't have done and that you hope <laughs> everybody forgets about? How about we do this person the favor of forgetting it now? Let's... Let's do that. Let's give them that favor because you hope it comes back on you one day. <laughs> Somebody will forget the stupid thing you did or the, yeah. or the bad thing you said or the wrong thing that you, you made happen. So I think, you know, that's like in honor, preferring one another, like it comes from marriage, but we're going to, we're going to look at our loves and our, in the, in the Christian family and say, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm intending to do good towards you. I'm intending to that. And, uh, that's going to shape my direction. You know, and, and that's, there's people you're going to disagree with. You know, I, I've heard Pastor Phelps talk about it many times. People that he disagrees with, mm-hmm. but but he's determined to love believers. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, John helps us with this a little bit later on, too, when he defines what love looks like. And I think sure. that's important as well. Yeah, good point. Because sometimes we hear love in, in our emotion-centered American culture, we think, right. oh, I have warm, fuzzy feelings about them. So right. I walk into church and I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to see them and I'm so glad to see them and I'm so glad to see them. And then we see that one person, we're like, oh boy. And all of a sudden, if, if that's our definition of love, we're like, oh man, I'm in trouble. I don't really love that person or their family or that person over there. And, you know, we may start, and, and obviously we want to have, you know, Paul says, be kindly affectionate one to another. You know, we want to have that warm friendship uh, we want to have brotherly love. As- love is not love that alters when an alteration finds, nor bends with the remover to remove. Oh, no. It is an ever-fixed mark. I see, that's what you came. That's what you signed in today, is to hear a little shit. There you go. That's right. <laughs> uh, that one was free, folks. <laughs> uh, you can listen to Matt Bardfield. Matt, Bard- Matt the Bard. <laughs> the Matt Bardfield. Right? There you go. He's going to be starting his own podcast where he <laughs> recites all the poems he knows. <laughs> Maybe we can get him to do the one about spam. Oh, uh, no, let's not do that. <laughs> I, I, should, I should not have told you that I know that. <laughs> that was a mistake. I wonder how many of our audience is going to go out and Google poem spam. Don't, don't do that. It's, yeah, it's, it's horrifying. It is horrifying. <laughs> um, but as John is defining what love looks like, he defines it um, in verse 16 of 1 John 3. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Okay, so what does that look like? You know, does that mean I'm ready to take a bullet? Well, maybe on some level, but I'm probably not going to have too many opportunities to take a bullet for you, Matt, although hopefully I would be willing to do it. Uh, but he, he clarifies what that looks like for us then. Verse 17, but whoso hath this world's goods, um, or but whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So that raises the question, okay, so what does it look like then to to love the people around us? Because here, John seems to be thinking primarily in, we want to say financial terms, whoso hath this world's good and see this brother have need and shut up his bowels of compassion. And so this is in a culture where, again, you have, you have people that are living not just poverty, but destitute. Uh, they don't have food. They don't have clothes. And John's point is if you look at someone like that um, and you shut up your bowels of compassion, how does God's love dwell in you? So what does this look like 
I don't know. What does this look like for us in America today? Well, it's funny you should say America because the first thing I want to talk about was Jordan. When we lived in the Middle East, <laughs> okay. there's an interesting uh, aspect of Arab culture where if somebody sees something you have and compliments it, like if I say, hey, Ben, nice shirt, you're obligated to give it to me. Oh, that's cool. Because, I would have so much free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so if you walk into someone's wow, house. Wow, that's a nice car. <laughs> like you can say nice house. You can say nice car. But like if I say, hey, I love that painting or wow, it's a beautiful d- dinner set you have then they feel obliged to hand that over to you. So as a consequence, because that's required in the culture, they don't throw around compliments very much. In fact, when they walk around, if they go to the store, (laughs) this is so funny. When you go to a store in the Middle East, everybody gets a black opaque bag to put the stuff in. Because if they see what's in there, then they can compliment whatever you have in the bag, and now you have to give it to them. So all the stores only sell bags you can't, only use bags you can't see through, which is very funny. Um, but but what is that like? Okay, so that is I identify that I want what's in this bag. Like that's mine. It's not yours, and so it's mm-hmm. black. You can't see through it. You can't compliment it. You can't have it. In the body, my brain doesn't say, "Am I going to help that heart beat today?" My heart doesn't say, am I going to give the lungs any blood today? Like, it doesn't do that. It just, it, it, it free flows whatever it's supposed to do, whatever it has the resource to do, so that everything works as much as it can. And, and that's what's supposed to happen with Christians. There's not supposed to be this, yeah, but this is mine. Like, I, I want this for me, right? It's like, no, the allocation of these resources is for the benefit of this whole body. How do I, how do I unload what I got so that everything's better? Hmm. That's good. Um, I know I've wrestled with this, you, you know, cause I, there've been a few occasions where I've, you know, given money to other Christians who are in need. Um, not, not a ton. And I think, I don't know. I think in America, I don't know. It feels like this looks different. And I guess I'm just talking out loud here or thinking out loud here. I always talk out loud. Right. Sure. Well, not all the time. <laughs> but that's true. Inside words. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, because we, I think we wrestle with it. You know, you see the person uh, on the side of the road who's got the sign and, you know, your mind immediately starts making all kinds of assumptions. And even that's not necessarily what John is talking about. He's talking about helping believers. He's talking about helping brothers. And so, you know, how do, how does it, how does it work? We hear poverty and we think, oh yeah, that's the person who's living below the poverty line Uh, and people in poverty can have a home, they can have smartphones, they can have, you know, food. And I know all this because, you know, when, when you look at what the government calls poverty, you know, for a while growing up, we were in poverty and I didn't ever feel like we were like, you know, poor, but we just, we didn't, we didn't have a lot. And that's different, I think, than what's going on here in, in John, when he says, you know, you you know, you, to give another example, James chapter two, he talks about, uh, let's see here, uh, uh, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? And, you know, just to think, like, we ought to, as a church, be wanting to meet the needs of, of other Christians, especially those in our church. But, I don't know, what does that, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we do that? Because there aren't as many people, at least that I'm aware of, maybe I'm missing something. If I am and you're a listener, you know, <laughs> please point this out. But when I come to church week by week, I don't see people without clothes. Um, and I don't see people who haven't eaten in, you know, three or four days. Sure. Well, I think what's interesting in that 
in the James passage is the word depart. Like, uh, you go over there and be mm. your poor, starving self. Because I'm going to go back over here where I got all this stuff, mm. <laughs> right? So there's a separation that's not supposed to happen in Christianity, right? We're supposed to be able to have uh, amongst us, um, you know, there's, it's important as ministers, as people who serve the Lord, um, as people in any part of Christianity, we never begrudge anybody God's blessing. If God blesses anybody, that's a blessing to me. Mm-hmm. That means God reaches people in all kinds of ways. Some of them are financial, some of them are health, some of them are, I think what gets us around this idea or gets us through this idea, Ben, is to remember purpose. It's purpose. What do we all share at the church? Well, we share the love of God, but we share the same purpose. We're all here for the same reason, right? So I'm going to unload whatever blessing God has to me so that, they, so that God's purpose in you and in me and everybody is all advanced. And sometimes it's going to be funds, and sometimes it's going to be a song, sometimes it's going to be a prayer or a hand on the shoulder or whatever. It's going to be all kinds of things, but I'm not holding that back. The love of Christ has constrained me. His cross is consuming me. I'm for him. And so that's going to be unloaded, whatever that looks like. And, and obviously, I mean, <clears throat> we have times where I need to minister to my family in a particular way. I don't buy houses for other people. I don't get a mortgage for other people. Yeah. Right? I, I, I couldn't do it at my, where I am right now, but I need to take care of my family. That's my responsibility. And so as a Christian father, I'm going to take what God's given me and unload that with that purpose of raising Christian kids who go out and change the world. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the purpose. That's what we're here for. We're coming all together. Why? So that we're Christian people who change the world. So I want God's purpose in me to go attached to all the gifts and blessings I have and flow out to you and flow out to anybody else, whatever that may be. And for some people, that's funds. For some people, that's other things. It's wisdom. It's insight. It's teaching. It's words. For some people, that's labor. For some people, that's you know, working with their hands. It's all kinds of things that we get to do. But it's because that purpose, that cross of Christ has consumed us. And so now we're not worried about what's going to happen to our resources. Mm-hmm. We're freed up because our life is now completely directed to this one thing. And I'm not worried about, am I going to, am I going to lose a little bit of money on this? Am I going to have a little bit of, uh, am I going to be ill because of this? Am I going to be tired because of this? Who cares? It's Jesus gets everything from me. He's going to have it all. And so that purpose helps bring us through this idea. I'm not going to, I can't be selfish. Uh, I don't want to be selfish because I want God's purpose to overwhelm me and everybody that we're working together with. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, going back to uh, the end of verse 18, I uh, not neither in uh, let us not love in word neither in tongue but in deed and in truth, you know. And I think that kind of goes back to what you're saying there that it's it's going to look different for different people, and uh, it's going to look sure. different in different cultural contexts. But yeah. the idea behind it is the same. Love is not so much a feeling, although feelings are a part of love, but it's an action and it's in truth as opposed to hypocrisy. Right? It's not smiling and saying one thing and then doing something else. It's like no, we really do love people. And that real love for people displays itself in sacrificial giving for their benefit, whether that's time or whether that's money or whether that's, um, you know, a dozen other resources that may come to mind um, that we desire uh, to, to partner with people and to help people. And, uh, you know, that there is a love and a community here in the body of Christ. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me as well. Let's uh, go ahead and talk about the last section just briefly here where it talks about confidence. Um mm. Uh, and hereby know we that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence before God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments 
and do not uh, those things and do those things oops with uh, that are pleasing in his sight uh, and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him um, so as we as we look at this last section there's a lot of talk about confidence and it's it's kind of challenging because um, uh, that verse 19 hereby know we uh, John normally says that and then follows up with what it is that we know. But in this case, it really seems to be uh, that what he's talking about is what he's already been talking about. That hereby there is referring to the fact that we love one another in truth and in deed. And by that, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before God. Um, again, I, I think one of the difficulties that we have in this area is we look in our lives and we see, and we may have talked about this last week, but I think it's worth coming back to. We look in our lives and we see, okay, I'm not loving people as I ought. And yet if James is really, or James, if John is really doing this, if he's tying our assurance to our, um, I guess, how would you say that? If he's tying our assurance to a certain way of living and we look at that and say, I, I don't know, I don't know that I'm measuring up, but I'm, but I'm trying and I don't know how to, how to do better. What would you say to someone who, um, let's say you're, you're counseling, maybe it's one of your kids and, uh, they're struggling with this and they're like, well, dad, I, I, I just don't feel like I'm loving people like John would have me love them or like God would have me love them. Yeah. I usually scare people when I start talking about things like this. Oh boy. I uh, like you know, that. Because, <laughs> because it's, if you realize that, that we are dead and our life is hid in Christ with God. I mean, we, his purpose is love. It, it has to consume us. Right. If you want to get the confidence and assurance where you know that you know that you know, then you're going to have to die to yourself, to your ambitions, to your will, to your lust, to your own plans. That's, that's got to go. Like there's no way around that. Um, so, you know, you talk to kids, it's like, you want to know, you want to have confidence before God. Then every time he tells you, you say yes, right? Everything he shows you in his word, you, you yield to that. Every time there's an opportunity, you're, you're joyful about it because that's what you're here for. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. Confidence follows that. Right, I mean, he that's dead is ceased from sin. Isn't that in this in this book we're reading? I don't uh, believe so. Uh, it's it's. <laughs> well, uh, let me look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very important uh, concept that when we've identified with Christ in Galatians two twenty, uh, we're we're living through Him in the flesh, and it's it's because, uh, you know, there's no gentle way to say this. You you have to really admit that our life is hid with Christ in God. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's helpful as well. You know, people often um, mix up the doctrines of eternal security and assurance and say, well, because once saved, always saved, God, you know, those who trust in Christ will never be lost. They then tie that to assurance and say, you know, if someone comes and says, I don't feel saved, I'm struggling with feeling saved, the, the typical response is normally, well, when did you pray the prayer? I prayed the prayer this day. Okay, well, just you're good then. Oh. Um, and obviously, there needs to be that should be the first question. You know, have you accepted Christ? Has sure. there been a has there been a point where this started? But assurance doesn't flow from, you know, writing a, a date down in your Bible. No, assurance flows from living a life uh, that lines up with God's word, and that's what John's point is. He says, "Look, you want to know? Do you want to have this confidence? You want to have this assurance? Okay, are you loving the brothers? Are you believing?" Um, are, he, he ties it to certain specific actions, 
um, that flow out of a changed life. Because if we're saved, it's not just, okay, here's your ticket to heaven, you're good now. If we're saved, we are a new creature. We've been born of the God. We are born of the Spirit. Uh, we have a, a new desires. We have a new master. Like, our whole life is different. Yeah. Like Paul says, if you, been, if you be in Christ, you are a new creature. It's like a Zacchaeus shift. Yeah. Right? Here's this guy who's probably cheating a bunch of people, and then he meets Jesus, and he's like, I need to do more than just give it all back. Like, mm-hmm. I need to give four times back. Like he just, the verse I was th- thinking of is first Peter chapter four, for as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind for he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the lust of the flesh uh, of men, but to the will of God. And that ends with verse eight. And above all things have fervent charity among yourselves for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love, right? Peter gets you there. Yeah. He's like, you know, you, You've made this switch, right? You're not supposed to be going the old way. You know, you, you, you've ceased from sin if you've suffered in the flesh. If you've let your flesh suffer, you've, you've yielded up the resources of your flesh so that you can serve God, right? What's, what's the capstone of that? It's love. Huh. Well, I think we'll probably go ahead and uh, wrap things up there. Um, thank you, Matt, for speaking even though your voice is well so we all miss hoarse. pastor brandon we, we do man yeah. we just we felt like a tricycle with two wheels it, that's a good way of putting yeah, yeah. it i kept looking over to see what he was going to contribute and there's just a chair there next time next time <laughs> um, but uh we appreciate you uh joining us next week we're going to be studying first john four one through six and so if you want to be studying this passage on your own in advance you can ask yourself uh some questions such as you know what kind of tests are given here to pick out false teachers hmm. And we're going to be looking at at least two tests to know uh, how you know that someone is a false teacher. And then also uh, more of an applicational question, what kind of false teachers do I need to be on the lookout for? Because it's it's really easy to think, well, I'm I'm never going to fall. So it's going to be a true or false test, right? True or false? Yeah, true or false test. Uh, Oh, I see. No, see what I did there? A little bit. We need Brandon. We do need Brandon back. Next week. Okay. (laughs) Well, again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to seeing everyone back uh, again next week. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.